Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com. Welcome to the latest Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, back in room 1208 of the Rosen Plaza. (laughs) After Notre Dame's dramatic 21-17 win over LSU in the Music City Bowl, we're doing a late-night podcast um, post-bowl game because we're sort of splitting up to travel back to South Bend, and you didn't want to wait for the next podcast. And who knows when we'll get back together again. And the game was just that good. There was that that much to talk about. I don't even know where we want to start, but uh, I'll, I'm going to start with something I'm going to write about in my column, and I, I sort of hinted this on our last podcast. Is I, I do think Notre Dame's coaching staff, um, I'm not going to say it's as good as it's ever been, but it's as good as it's ever been in the BK era. And I think for the first time, when we were talking to players after the game, and they mentioned, wow, you know, like we had a lot of extra time to prepare – that Notre Dame can take advantage of that with Elko um, in terms of schemes and misdirections and Long in terms of preparing two quarterbacks in a way that I, I just don't think they have in the past. And I, and I feel like today was a real compliment, maybe less so for the head coach than it was his staff because they were able to take a lot of backup scout team players uh, on offense and, you know, kind of a – a defense that lacks ability at the safety position and, and put together a winning performance against uh, a team that went nine and three uh, out of the SEC and LSU. I, I think that's a fair assessment. And I, and I think at times, once you, you know, like LSU would get rolling, they, they, when they string a couple good plays together, that's when they became a little bit more difficult to defend and diagnose. But, you know, a lot of the time, um, you know, they weren't able to get into the, all the creativity I think that Matt Canada wants to do. But on occasion, we saw it. And Darius Geis, you know, here it is five minutes going to game. We got to turn in our MVP vote. And I'm saying, you know, Coney, I mean, Coney looks like the best player in the field. Julian Love almost always does. But Darius Geis had the numbers, two touchdowns, 98 yards rushing. Uh, let's see, at that point he had, he had three catches, 24 yards receiving. It looked like they were about to go in the end zone and take the lead, so we turned it in. And then they kind of uh, – uh, who made that decision that Boykin was was MVP? I mean, it's kind of like a quick decision on the field to stick Boykin up there with all the captains on the, uh, on the dais. But uh, we all thought that Ian Book deserved it. Um, and he did. I mean, he, he did a great job. He, he – he came in and it was a winning performance. 
following a performance that didn't look like it was going to be a winning one from Brandon Wimbush? I think, you know, the offense found a way. Winning performance is a good way of putting it because you use your backup quarterback, your first, fourth, fifth, and distant receivers. You're missing your second-best tight end. They had to find a way against the second-best defense they played this year. It's a really good defense. Um, I think if LSU had a little bit better offense. It would have been tougher, but credit Notre Dame's defense for playing well all game long. They wore down at the end. It's not their fault they wore down at the end. They're out there for, what, 38 minutes. Uh, you could see them playing. You could see them giving ground that last drive. Yet, they stopped them and held to a field goal, which allowed the win. Because Tavon Coney never gets tired. No, apparently not. <laughs> he is. I, I can't think of a more improved player because he went from, I don't know what he really brings to the equation, and that's what the coaches felt, yeah. to he is, you said the words today, Against the run, he's that was, that was a Manti right Teo like yes. performance, and uh, he he had a great game. Julian Love has had several playmaking great games. Got a lot of credit to the defense for those two goal line stands for holding up, and for the offense for finding a way. And Ian Book, look, they had four first downs, I believe, five first downs and ninety eight total yards before Book took over for basically the second half and the last drive of the of the first right. half. He had nine first downs, just his arm and legs alone. Played a very efficient game, one terrible pass, but as Pete made a point in his analysis, he bounced back from that terrible pass and, and actually had a really good fourth quarter. Yeah, one of the things I said going into the game, a couple things. I mean, number one, we knew LSU was giving up less than 53% completion rate. And how is Brandon Wimbush going to succeed when he completes 49% and that's without Stefferson, Mack, Claypool? Well, you have Ian Book who's throwing to those backup receivers that he probably gets more reps with you know, in practice and pregame and stuff like that. So it worked out. It was very improbable, obviously. Um, you know, everybody said after the game that Miles Boykin regularly makes catches like that in practice. I think if he regularly did that, he would be playing more, would he not? Yeah. Yeah, there was uh, I, I, there was definitely some creative license taken after the game about well, Miles Boykin just dominating people in practice every day. And, of course, we thought Ian Book could do this. Um you know, it's talking to people around Notre Dame throughout the year. You you get more of a, I think, a nuance when we all get this like opinion about who's can play and who can't, or who's not performing. And Ian Book was not a guy that the coaching staff I felt like had a whole lot of faith in to deliver this kind of performance. Um, and you know, got into discussion on our message board about this about like, well, why don't they rotate Ian Book and. The reason was that Ian Book had given them no reason to rotate. To After today, he has. But in the same way that Tavon Coney was not somebody that was thought of very highly by the coaching staff when the season started, I think Ian Book is probably somebody who was not thought of very highly by the coaching staff when the bowl season started. And opinions change. They have to evolve. That's what's great about college football, that these, these kids or players surprise you. Ian Book was a surprise. I think... I mean, to follow your point, Pete, I think the coaching staff sees more of those terrible interceptions, you know, right. that, that, yeah, I mean, we saw one today. Well, and we saw one in North Carolina when he had a chance to start. So right. it's not exactly. out of the character at, for a... Yeah, at the, at the point of that interception, he was averaging uh, in the third quarter, which was a, a bad pick, he was averaging one pick for every 16 pass attempts. Mm. Which is like, you just can't live that yeah, way. Yeah, you can't. Um, but, you know, I have to give him a, a massive amount of credit for bouncing back to finish. I believe 9-11 for 111 yards and two touchdown passes. 
And to put that in context, Notre Dame had thrown one touchdown pass in the fourth quarter all year, and Ian Book threw two today. That's incredible. And honestly, uh, I didn't notice it live, but Miles Boykin mentioned that Ian Book put that ball the only place he could put it. Now, it was an amazing catch, but it was over the outside shoulder. Yeah. And Miles Boykin chose to catch with yeah, one hand. It was my, actually a, a, the right throw. Yeah, you watch that play. Miles Boykin looks like he's six foot eight. Yeah, he looks like a superhuman, but yeah. the ball was not poorly thrown either. Yeah. It was just, it was obviously a remarkable catch. I, you, I, you know, I'm not, and again, I don't see all the, the bad interceptions or bad plays that, that, that we know the coaching staff sees, but. <laughs> I'm more surprised by Miles Boykin, amazing Miles Boykin's amazing play to stay on his feet to to break out of a tackle of John Battle, who's a quality safety. Um, I'm more surprised by that than Ian Book coming through like he did. Now he did it against, as you said, Tim. I mean, it's a good defense. It's probably the second best defense that they've faced, and that's that's impressive. When I watch Ian Book, I like the body language. I like the mechanics. I like the way he carries himself. I like the way he bounces up after a play. There's just a body language about him that I think inspires some confidence. I, I, I mean, I hope I'm not reading too much into that, but I think, I think he has that. And and as you said, it's whether you want it to be wide open or not, or whether Brian Kelly wants to still favor Brandon Wimbush, he's got to open that. He's got to open it the competition up. If you think of it, look, LSU played 13 games this year, and in 10 of them, the other team didn't throw for more than 200 yards. And one of the teams that did only did because they threw three picks and threw it 50 times, where you you have to throw for more than 200 yards. Ian Book was able to hit that number today in three quarters. Or no, two quarters in one series, two and a half, basically. Yeah. Two and a half, because I guess he played a little bit before that. And they ran the ball well enough when you had sack adjusted. 182 yards rushing <clears> on, was it 29 carries? So that's... 5.7 yards a carry against an LSU defense that doesn't give up that kind of rushing yards. Right. No, book, had, book had 64 yards rushing on 11. Not well, including, not on including seven, sacks. On yeah, seven yeah. carries, and then he had four sacks for 36 yards and loss. It it seemed like they scuffled all day, but really they just scuffled for a half. It, it was a decent second Boy, half that, of football. God, that was an ugly first half wow, of football. Yeah. It was an amazingly... <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a, at halftime, it's like, Scuffle okay, is generous. Yeah, if Nordame, <laughs> even if Nordame wins this game, like if they win 6-3 to three or 10-3 or, to three or whatever, Nordame fans are not going to be happy with this, and I'm sure there are those that are unhappy. Still not. Because they're always unhappy, but because of the spectacular... <clears throat> because of two things. One, because of what Book did. Uh, two because a couple goal line stands and then three the spectacular play to win it. It changes the perception of the game. But man, at halftime, that was some ugly football. Yeah, it's interesting to think back to what Brian Kelly said yesterday. Uh, feels like a long time ago, the day before the game, when you know he sort of intimated, you know, the results of bowl games are a little bit overrated. And I think for the most part, this game did feel like a one-off to me. Like it. it it felt divorced from the regular season in a lot of ways. Uh, and it's not going to feel married to next season either. I know, that's how I feel. Because of feel Nelson and McGlinchey are, are leaving. But it, def, it without question, it colors the entire offseason for Notre Dame. Um, I got Kelly I, to admit that after yeah. the game, contrary to what he said the other day. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, it's one of those situations where I, I mean, if, I feel like if you're Notre Dame, I don't know if this is something you actually can build on, but... It's sort of it's a ten win season. Which they should finish in the top ten for only the second time of the Kelly era. Um, you know, two ten win seasons in three years. 
there's there's a lot of good that I think will come out of this for Notre Dame, but um, it, it's just it's it's amazing to me how much of that hinged on Miles Moykin Moykin making a ridiculous catch over his shoulder and then having two LSU defenders sort of bounce off of him. I think a lot of games. I agree with you on that one, and we kind of talked to some coaches post game that were exuberant yeah. about the victory, but a lot of games do pin on. Well, like some that, were right? exuberant and others were <laughs> angrily exuberant. Were, yeah. No, no, were a, a, a bit raise your eyebrows surprised at how they won. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that there were there were surprises for Notre Dame today. As much as I think Brian Kelly often uh, is reluctant to say he was surprised by anything, um, that's just sort of his nature. There's, I think that's by coach's nature because yeah, they, they, they're working a hundred hours a week, and, right. To suggest that something surprises Yeah, them. there's a connotation he, there of unpreparedness. Yes, yeah. he has seen Boykin make that play in the past. Not every day, as he insinuated, but he has seen <laughs> that play made. So we figured, yeah. you know, you can, you can, and, you, it's not shocking. It's, and I asked of all the players, look, they ended the game with a touchdown pass to Michael Young, a diving catch by Chris Fink, and a circus catch for Miles Boykin, all from Ian Book for the win. They all kind of smiled and thought, yeah, I believe in those guys. And Drew Tranquil gave me the... Yeah, that's kind of amazing, huh? Yeah. It's it, it's an honest answer. I know they believe in him. Julian Love told me the two best players in practice were Miles Boykin and Michael Young, and the first thing he said to me when he saw me was, I told you. But <laughs> it's still kind of shocking that that's how they won the game. And it's okay to be shocked that's how they win the game. You can't always win the game according to pattern. Right. You know, Brian Kelly, remember what he talked about, how they were going to have to throw the ball, to, uh, you know, <clears throat> outside and have success. You can't count on Brandon Wimbush to do that. But with Ian Book, you can. He can roll. He can run off the roll. He can throw on the run. And we saw a lot of evidence of that. They did They did a little bit of the screen game, which you can't do with Wimbush. <laughs> the designated screen throw. passer at the beginning. I've yeah. never seen it. Yeah, in my life. exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, early on, remember the crossing route by St. Brown that where he had a ton of room to run. It would probably would have been a third down conversion. And he throws it behind him, partly because EQ's not very flexible either. But... You just can't, you know, you just can't build on that. And, you know, I'm the first one to defend Brandon Wimbush, 30 touchdowns. Yeah, Brian, Brian Kelly used that number after the game. You know, red zone offense, 75% touchdown percentage, 21st in the country in scoring. I mean, you have to give him credit for that. But the problem is his shortcomings put a ceiling on his ability and the team's ability and I don't, you know, I, I don't know that Notre Dame has to live with that any longer. They they yeah. refuse to live with that any longer. I think they chose that today in the second yeah. half by sticking with Book. But I want to give Notre Dame fans and everybody <clears> here these numbers and tell me what you think the final score of the game is. LSU gets basically 400 yards. Josh Adams carries 15 times and averages 2.9 yards. Brandon Wimbush is 3 for 8 passing. And Equimenea St. Brown has 2 catches. In a game where you're minus two in turnover margin, right, that too. two turnovers, fifteen minutes, and minus your best receiver and your second or your third best receiver, and another tight end, and they yeah. com- and they convert more than half of their third downs. Well, you, you lose that game forty yeah, to ten. You have, you have two yeah. goal line stands. Yeah. 
Okay. It's a, well, how do you compensate? But that's you how you to, do it. It's I, a competitive exactly. effort by the You've team. You've got two missed chip yeah. shot field goals by LSU. They're bad kickers, though. You have two right? law. Yes, they're bad they're, kickers. They're bad kickers. Yeah, they don't that's LSU's good. fault. That is LSU's fault. Notre I mean, Dame's got a bad quarterback. It's yeah. not there. No, LSU's fault that yeah. Wimbush can't throw. Right? Two long field yeah. goals by Justin Yoon, who had a quietly had a really, really good fin- year. Finished 8 of 9 on field goals. His only miss was a 50-yarder against Wake Forest. I was holding my ballot for a Justin Yoon game-winning field goal at one point for the MVP of the game. If he kicks the game winner, yeah. The minute. I mean, yeah. that, that game gets away a little bit if he doesn't make his field goals. You know, Julian Love, I mean, my God, is he great. <laughs> he is just, I, and you know, I. All we, five, two of them. Yeah, I mean, we all, we. <laughs> We, we all enjoy having conversations with him, and I think we each had a separate conversation with him after the game, and mine was about, you know, he, he said he's always kind of had a chip on his shoulder, the whole three-star thing, and confidence in his ability. And and I said, how do you, you know, he does such a great job of anticipating what the receiver is going to do. Now, you know, that, that takes great technique. It takes a, a fairly high degree of athleticism, but also film study. Well, then he says to me, you know, he basically says the other other corners have more time for film study because when he's not in football, he wants to tend to academics. And so they kind of have to yank him into the film room to study the opponent at mm. times. So, I mean, the guy is really, really gifted, and he doesn't necessarily have to put in more time than everybody else in the film room. That's Yeah, that's a pretty interesting guy. Um, yeah, I, I thought that... I'm going to give a nod to a five-star guy, Quentin Nelson, uh, because I talked to him after the game. Mostly I wanted to ask him about the two-point conversion that Josh Adams had where he just drove a dude almost out of the end zone entirely. Uh, And then also there was a choke slam, sit-on-your-face block in the first half. And he really enjoyed both of those. Um, and when I asked him about it, he was like, oh, yeah, I remember those plays. You mean he cracked a smile? Yeah, he cracked a smile. Um, but it, it was interesting talking to him about the notion of somebody asked on our message board about him not playing today right. for draft stock, and he's just like, "That's so unlike." That's it. that. Not only is that insane, like I wanted today to be my best game, to be also be my last game, and he felt like he accomplished that, which you rarely hear. I think Quentin Nelson or any of the offensive linemen sort of stick their chest out yeah. a little bit and say, like, yeah, I played great today. Um, Quentin Nelson feasted on LSU's linebackers, and that was something that we talked about in our podcast before the game is that some of the injuries LSU's had uh, at the linebacker in the second level were had the potential to really hurt them today. It's something that Ed Orgeron talked about in his pre-press conference, and I thought that not only did Notre Dame's pulling guards – um, and sometimes pulling tackles. Mike Wilkes was on mm-hmm. the move a little bit today. Uh, eat up LSU's second level defenders, but the win- the Brandon Wimbush to Ian Book transition, I think, in some ways helped Notre Dame because LSU was like, "Well, this guy is not going to run it nearly as effectively as Brandon Wimbush," which is to be fair to sure. both quarterbacks. He is not as effective as a runner in terms of explosive athletic ability, but in terms of efficiency in the read option. You could argue it's actually better, and I and and sometimes quicker and more decisive in making the decision yeah. to keep it. There was one example of that. Was that the twenty-one yard run? Yes, he was. He he had gobbled up six yards before I realized right. they were running design before draw. You, it was, before you realized he still had yeah. the football, right? So 
you know, it's little things like that. That I mean, that's how you compensate for not being as big, for not having a strong arm, for not running 40 as well. goes back to the Julian Love point. Right, exactly. And that's why I say, I said to you today, Tim, do not count out Houston Griffith as a corner because I see a lot of great technique, and we see time and again corners like Julian Love, whose technique is so good it can compensate for 46 or whatever he might run in yeah. the forty. Yeah, it certainly plays a lot faster. Than yes, that. Well, I don't know exactly what yeah. it is, but he plays. He plays very. He's he's down there like a. He is a punt coverage and kick, or especially punt coverage maven. He is all over. Whenever there's a play made, it's always like that's Julian Love again. I mean, kudos to him. He is. We had Notre Dame officials coming over to us. He's their best defensive player. It might. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's Tavon Coney. They're both. They are two very good players. We uh, talked to Tavon Coney after the game. He is one hundred percent noncommittal about. The fact that the NFL exists and he's going to figure it out if there's a professional league that he could go play in after this game is over. So he did not give us any answers. We didn't talk to EQ after the game uh, due to the two catches and Boykin's breakout performance, but or nor Josh Adams who or Jerry Tiller or Jerry Tiller who it, Josh Adams just had such a rough end to the year. Um, I don't know what he is going to do now, but they definitely trust Josh Adams more than they trust their other running backs. Yeah, I mean, the running back position was interesting today. Adams, lack of production. Uh, Dexter Williams, uh, no show until the fourth quarter, or the third quarter of the fourth quarter. Until the 31-yard game. Until he flipped off 36 yards in about 35 seconds. Yeah, that gave you, it gave you an understanding. It validated your frustration about why he's not playing. And then he missed a block for a second. And then it made it clear why also he's not playing. Um, So he had a five-yard run, a 31-yard run, and then... Was I think he totally lost Devin White. Yeah, in a, in a blitz pickup rush perspective, that Ian Book got blown up for like a, maybe a thirteen yard loss. Um, it's it's maddening. It's frustrating. I get all that. Um, ultimately, I I think the staff has to do a better job of figuring out how to use them. Yeah. Also, Dexter Williams needs to take some accountability for like. I need to figure out how to pick up guys who are rushing at the quarterback. Yeah, but to me, that's a, I mean, look, that's everybody in the stadium knows certain plays that that Josh Adams is going to carry the football. So why why can't why can't everybody know that with Dexter Williams? Hell with the the pass block. Put him in. Get, hand well, him the football. I, I literally tweeted out maybe Dexter Williams should run the ball and other people should block because Dexter yeah. Williams is a talented running back. They have right. to find a way. But, it's not all in the staff. He cannot run with injuries. Is pretty clear. Right, and he's right. I mean, it's it. I mean, it's a, it's up to Dexter Williams yes. to, to impress them to get on the field. It, it would be one thing if he was a freshman, right? Yeah, he's a junior. Yeah, like come on, man, like you got you got to know that stuff by now. And for for one reason or the other, he doesn't. But I, I do want to spin the podcast forward a little bit in terms of what we saw um, today. You may be listening to this tomorrow, probably because it's almost midnight, but. Um, what we saw in the Citrus Bowl that you think is applicable to next year, what we saw in the Citrus Bowl that is more in the, the one-off type of uh, situation. My one-off is my one-off is the offense almost completely. When you lose Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey, I don't know if Ian Book is going to be making plays next year, if Brandon Wimbush is going to win the job, or if they're both going to end up playing and they're going to seed the role after three losses to another quarterback, because I don't know what you're going to get from the offense next year. I'm... We talked about this about a month ago. I don't believe the offense is going to be better next year. I think it'll be better than it was in November. But I don't think they're going to score 58 touchdowns and run for 
the second most yards since 1991, 19, or third most yards since 1991. I don't see that happening. Now, they're, they're going to have to pass the ball better, of course. I think the defense, this is a jump. The, uh, the defense will make a huge jump next year because by default they're going to be better at safety. They can't not be. Well, you cannot run on that point. They're not going to run those guys. You out cannot there, run so. Jalen Elliott out there again next year. I, 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 I don't think you'll run any of the safeties you saw today, other than Jen Markeith, Jen Markeith out there after September. I, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if you looked at the top. If you listed Notre Dame safeties next year, one through five, Elliott and Coleman were four and five. I agree. I agree. I, I think they would yeah, drop that you, far. I mean, we talk about. Nordheim's not willing to put up anymore with Brandon Wimbush or, or yeah. you know, is it the same is has to be true at safety. Yeah, there's there's no question about it. I think we're at quarterback, they have felt like they had another option. Aside from Jordan Genmar Keith maybe getting, I don't know, fifteen plays in the game and was was fairly physical yeah, was about involved. it. Um I don't think that they felt like they had another option out there. In the, it's certainly not in the way that they did at quarterback. Don't you feel if Tillery and Cody come back, you saw a lot of what you'll see defensively? Yeah, this, oh yeah. This, this yeah. is if a the, good front seven next if year those and two, good corners. If those two mm-hmm. come back and, and, you know, MTA enters the starting lineup in place of Jonathan Bonner, I don't know how much he played today, actually. Um, he was out Bonner, there quite a bit, I believe. Was he? Um you know, I mean, I, 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 I definitely think the defense gets better next year. And I agree with what you're saying about the offense. I, how in the world are you going to replicate right. 75 touchdown per, 75% touchdown rate in the red zone? Yeah. I mean, that's not going to happen again. But overall, more efficiency, uh, less bad plays, less bad decisions. Yes, you can, you can change it up and find a way. It, I guess just – I was doing more of a look at what they accomplished, and I know they fell flat on their face, but you're not going to see two months of 49, 49, 38, 49, 49, no. 49. It was just it was a remarkable run they had. They, they have to be better than November because otherwise they're going to have a terrible year. They're going to be better offensively than they were in November next year. But I don't think they're going to approach what we saw in October again <clears throat> offensively. They don't get to open with Temple again. No. I mean, I, I think one of the things with that next year is they should be better in November than – early in the year because most of their skilled players, I think will be quite young yeah. um, and they, they'll have to grow into the season. So I don't think it's a, an offense is going to hit the ground running the way it did, did this season. Um, yeah. I think in terms of what they can build on for next year, I, yeah, offensively it's, I mean, even finding individual pieces, I think I would have a difficult time. Michael like, Young will be involved. We Mike, Michael about Young that. and Miles Boykin clearly are the big winners. Um, you know, Ian Book, is a winner in the sense that he's in the conversation in a way that I don't think he would have been if Brandon Wimbush played well today. I mean, we if Brandon Wimbush played well today, we would be talking about Phil Jakobic. We wouldn't be talking about Ian yeah, Book. Good point. Um, you know, in some ways, I feel like Ian Book unseated Phil Jakobic uh, in the quarterback competition for well, next year. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to come off. I mean, with our instant analysis after the game and this, so we're. You know, Brandon Wimbush can never play again, and that Ian no, but Book he should be the quarterback. He couldn't have had a worse day for his <clears throat> offseason. Brandon right, Bush. That's just the way I'm looking at it. He couldn't have had a worse day for his offseason. But his offseason was always going to have to be a work in progress. If Brandon Wimbush was 10 of 20 today and ran for three touchdowns without a pick and didn't throw very well, he still would have to improve yeah, the offseason. It wouldn't way, matter. But now it's way worse. Yes. Now it couldn't have been worse. It yeah. really, he got benched yeah, and they won the game were, without him. There was not going to, if the, the 10 of 23 rushing touchdown game, there would be no drumbeat for somebody else. Right. Um, now I think in some ways there's a, there's a drumbeat for somebody else's. 
because um, you got Book and Jerkovic being potential options at some point. Because I, you know, I, I think that Jerkovic's outlook was a good year would be to win the number two job. Right now, I think that's a that's harder to do. Um, so I don't really know how that. But I I agree, O'Malley, with your point about what can they take from today to build on for next year. I, I do think the front seven, if Coney and Tillery are back with Tranquil, um, I mean, if there's a Khalid Kareem, Julian Aquara, Dale and Hayes all in their junior year, they all should make a pretty big jump. Um, you know, Myron, Tungavailoa, Mosa with Tillery, you know, where, does Jay Hayes maybe move inside where he can get a little bit more production? Um, you know, I do think that the Coney, Tranquil, if they're both inside, that would be a, a pretty athletic group. Um, then you got to get something out of the new rover position, right. whoever it is. But the, I, the front seven and corner, I feel like is they they showed what they can be a little bit against LSU. The safety position just needs to be torn down, and, and they need to start over. Something we've talked about. I mean, guys that need to be more productive. Jay Hayes, for one, because I mean, yeah. Jay Hayes goes. Well, Dalen Hayes as well, and yeah. Dalen and Dalen Hayes would be the second one. I mean, those guys have to be more productive than they are. And I, you know, I mean, I think there's a good chance that that they will be. That's just the evolution of a defense. I have, I have more confidence that Dalen Hayes is going to be more productive. I think that's interesting, P, for you to say move Jay Hayes inside. Jay Hayes made all of his big plays in September this year. Literally, Man, he made I, one against USC, I guess, but there was it was Jay Hayes in September, looked like a player, yeah. and then it just can't remember the place happening. Yeah. It's, it, it was a strange – I really thought he was coming on. Um, obviously, he still could, but Khalid Cream took over for a reason. It wasn't just because they were trying to rotate him in. Yeah. He was taking Jay Hayes' snaps after a while, and mm-hmm. he played plenty today. Let me just say this about Phil Jerkovic, and somebody questioned how I listed the order of he had him one over recruits. The other two I had him yeah. third. Oh, offensively, though, first, right? Was he number one offense, maybe? No, I had uh, No, I had, I have Kevin Austin. Oh, okay. okay. And, so, and I have Derek Allen ahead of him, so yeah. it's like, well, why is that? Because we don't know how it translates to the college. I mean, you can throw for, I don't care how many tens of thousands of yards you throw in high school. That's more, see the guy hit the guy. Brandon Wilbush won a state championship in high right. school. Brandon Wilbush completed I mean, that's 70% just, of his you know, passes that's like, in high That's like, see the ball, hit the ball. That's like, see the man open, throw him the football. Yeah. It's not that easy on the next level. You have to read everything. I'm not saying Phil Jerkovic can't do it. I'm saying I don't know whether he can and I'm not sure anybody does because the learning curve is so great when you move up to that next level. Didn't Brandon Winbridge say to you, Pete, I kind of like this going against man-to-man and having to beat somebody outside. It's like in high school or not reading everything. I don't know and if he, he said that to me. He said it to someone. Okay. <laughs> right. you know, he, he mentioned that, yeah, we got to win some outside one-on-ones. It's kind of like back in high school where you're oh, trying to beat someone we, yeah. and not reading the whole thing out. I mean, that's the... Well, yeah, he loves I that. I don't want to hear that. That's not what you want to yeah, hear. I understand that, that's what true, he, but... What this, he said to me during the week is, I was talking about the the reset of no game plan, just work on your fundamentals. He's like, yeah, you're not, you're not trying to read a defense and figure out what they're doing. Like... You can just go out there and you know throw the ball around like you're in seventh grade. Well, like that doesn't really cut it at this level. Um, and I don't. I don't. In Priester, you're right. It's like, what happens when Jacoba gets here? Does he have the same? Do you have some mental? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying he can't. I'm it's just like, saying we don't know for yeah, sure. I think that plenty of top ten quarterbacks that don't. Is right. What you're saying. I I don't know Jacobic personally. I do think he has some kind of like dude qualities about him. Um, 
I think Ian Book maybe has a little bit of that too, whereas I think Brandon Wimbush is kind of an overthinker. Um, and things weighed on him a little bit. So we'll we'll see. I, I think Jerkovic is at least going to get a look. I'd take Brian Kelly to his word on National Signing Day. Uh, and I know the staff is is super high on Phil, and they won't be afraid to play him yeah. if they need to next year. But Ian Book will at least give them more to think about now. I'd put Petit Freer ahead of Jerkovic will fall to fourth. I you know, and again, but, yeah. but I mean, what what Pete's saying is and that five I more mean, guys, let them fall to ninth. Right. There's we, no problem. We, what do we know? What, <laughs> what Pete is saying is is very valid about Jerkovic because they they're very high on him. And yeah. the August start, or the summer start, is hard. It's difficult for me to believe he would uh, to win it right away. I mean, right. obviously, uh, you have to lose games right though to have Wimbush, like is the problem. Yeah. What we had heard from the last staff behind the scenes was that Wimbush was better than Golson or Zaire. Well. Or Kaiser, even. Well, obviously, that was not true. Uh, uh, he's better than Zaire. Yeah, but not not three for three. No. So it's um, I'm going to be fascinated to see how that all develops. Brian Kelly was asked about, hey, do you have a starting quarterback for next year? Which is like kind of one of those questions that you have to ask. I had he, to ask that. Yeah. yeah. He, okay, you asked it. Yeah. It's like you got to ask it, even though it's like it's it an unanswerable. It doesn't question. matter what his answer is. The question has to be. Yeah, asked. his answer is going to be I don't know, yeah. and that's fine. Yeah. But I don't know is different than where it was before the game started. Right. There, it's there, was has, there any, has there been any point this season where that he would have answered it that You're way? Right. He would have said Brandon Wimbush is my starting quarterback. So. Yeah. Of course, Ian Book wouldn't have been sitting Sit at the dais with him. <laughs> Yeah, it was a little bit uh, a little bit different there. Um, I don't. I, I was going to bring up the point that the ten wins is huge because Pete, you made a good point in instant analysis. They finished the game the, the season correctly. Ten wins got what they deserve. January first bowl game. I know it wasn't a major bowl, but it's the next one. Beating a quality team in LSU, a team that was in the top twelve to start the season and was fine all year. <clears throat> Nine and four with that ending would have felt terrible. Ten and three feels good. I don't think. We, we did a quick look. There's 26 teams that won 10 games this year out of 128 teams. So you're you're 20% more than 20% of teams. Yeah. Brian Kelly are going to win 10 games or have won 10 games this year. Let's not throw a parade for the 10 games, but it's a lot better than nine and four. It's a lot better way to. Well, end it, the year. it is a yeah. benchmark yeah. for Notre Dame. It's not enough for Alabama. And or some Clemson teams play terrible schedules a, compared hell, to Notre Dame. It's not Dame, enough for so. Wisconsin. No, it, but a lot of teams not not Wisconsin, but a lot a lot of Wisconsin and other teams. Did not play Notre Dame schedule, so ten wins can right, be hollow. Right, right. But it's it, it's it's a good it's a good effort. I think if you said ten and three when they were eight and one going down to Miami, you'd think, oh gosh. But now the, the reality is, well, it ended up probably being beginning of the year ten and three. Nobody would have said I can't have a ten and three season when Notre Dame beats LSU in right. a January first bowl, right? Yeah, and yeah. and right. you know Notre Dame's won ten games two of the last three years, which ho hum ever you know I mean. If 26 teams won 10 games this year, then there's that many more that have won two out of three. But at Notre Dame, it hasn't happened since 92-93 when they won double digits back then. And I think the the 26 teams winning 10 games, how many of them played 14 games? Sure. Oh, yeah, there's plenty. Pro- of, there's, probably there's a plenty. lot. Well, USC is one of them, just to, just to point it out right there. USC played 14 games. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's enough teams. Yeah, it, I, I'm just saying it's it's a great job by Notre Dame, especially with their schedule. It's not unique to win ten games. Mm-hmm. It's unique to go eleven and two, and Notre Dame needs to do that soon. Yeah, no, that's, that's going to change your perception. That's going to change Brian Kelly's now standing. That's, now that's that's a significant year. step up. Yes. yes, I know it's just one game, but it that's is a significant step up. 
Yeah, well, how many teams won 11 this year, though? 14, I think. Okay, yeah, but again, the same, there's four, some 14-game the, the game Another 14-game season. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they opened next year with a very reeling Michigan team that just completely lost the plot all so of a I wish I wish they were playing Michigan next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the reset button's been hit. Yeah. But they lost the captain today. We didn't talk about that either. I guess it doesn't matter. It's his last game. Boy, he played he, fine. But we all, I think Wasn't we great. all felt the same thing when all the captains and Boykin are up on the stage after the game, but not Niles Morgan. And look, you don't lose your captaincy for being 15 minutes late for curfew right. or 15 something minutes happened. late. So it was either multiple things or something a little bit more serious, but he played. He was in the third play of the game, right? Yeah, he was in. He was in early play, and he played a lot. He, he did a lot of good things. Well, he made I, he made a stop at the goal line on yeah. the first goal line stand. He and uh, Jameer Jones, who we all had in the pool, as the guy that made the biggest play of the first half. But they did. That was oh, that I was a pro Jonathan. But that was Jameer there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That, that Jonathan was, Jones also made a big play. Yes, he did. So we, we, uh, it's that's another thing that's not going to carry over. Now, Morgan played his last game. Won his last game. And we're never going to figure out, never going to announce officially what happened there. But it was strange to see six guys on the stage with Miles Boykin and not have your seventh captain up there. It was a bit of an odd look. I felt, I actually felt bad for Niles Morgan, <laughs> not knowing what he did that he wasn't allowed to stand on the stage with the captains. It, that's it, it a did. rough. That's rough. Yeah, that is. Yeah. I, I think we all kind of felt like, yeah. damn, can't you let him be up there? But we don't know exactly what he did. And hey, to be fair, Matt Freeman from ISD was the. Was the Our one source that, on that. On the yeah, it was the right first in. one yeah. that suggested to He's us. He's the reason we were using binoculars to look for a yeah. C on Niles Morgan's yeah. chest is the best way to put it. Could have missed that entirely. I, I think the the what carries over aspect of it, um, aside from the coaching staff stays together, I think that something McGlinchey said, because I wanted to ask him about this after the game, and he said that he, you know, in some ways, I feel like Mike McGlinchey gets Notre Dame better than like some people who actually work at Notre Dame professionally. Oh, God. Um, but this is his quote to me. He says, I talked to Coach Kelly about this some. The way you win is with people. I feel as though we have the best now. I feel we lost a little bit of that previously, and that's what gave us some hard times. we got the right people leading the team. They're bringing in the right people to play for the team. And the amount of work that you're going to put in here while you're here, it's going to translate into success. Notre Dame attacks the best, attacks, attracts the best and the brightest. The same for coaches as well. And I think that going back to signing day and some of the prospects they have coming in there and some of the changes that made in the recruiting department. I, I do think there's been an acknowledgement by Brian Kelly and the staff that throwing good money after bad is not a way to win. Like in the whole, like you don't win with talent, you win with the traits and the character and smart and tough and grit and all that stuff. But well, I cl- do as cliche as that is, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And I, I think today sort of proved that both in terms of the guys who played when they, you know, in some ways didn't have to, McGlinchey and Nelson, because they were going to be millionaires in about six months. Some of the guys that didn't play as big a role as maybe they thought they deserved, Niles Morgan. Some of the guys that didn't play at all, like Stefferson and Isaiah Mack. So I do think that this year is at, is at least a, um, I don't know, a marker that Brian Kelly can look back and it's like, you know what, I can stick to my guns on something about playing the guys that I think deserve to play and are doing it the right way, opposed to playing the guys that are just naturally yeah. automatically the best. Here's That's something, something that can carry. Here's something that fired me up in pregame because, you know, we, we tweet out, we report about having the captaincy removed from Niles Morgan, and we see a tweet saying, Brian Kelly's lost control of the team. I no. thought it was an indication of, of having control of the team. Right. 
It's exactly. the opposite. And probably making the idea, I mean, probably making just the completely right decision where, you know what, you did not live up to the standards of captaincy that I set forth for you. But you didn't do something where I'm going to punish the rest of the team by not involving you in this game against LSU's running game. Get out there and play. You're not going to Got starve, enough. kid. Yeah, yeah, you had enough in the bank. Yeah, to, yeah, exactly. To he never heard withdrawal. anything else of Niles Morgan where there was going to be this massive... Yeah, he's always been the guy that... When he wasn't playing, Brian Kelly called him a bulldog wanting yeah. to play. So, yeah, I, I think it's the opposite. I don't think Brian I, Kelly lost this team down here. I, I know it's a bad look that you had a, three suspensions... Uh, or two suspensions, a captaincy strip, and another yeah. guy sent home. Three suspensions that a guy sent home, yeah. but... And I'm not, tr- I'm not trying season. to... When I say this, what I'm about to say, I'm not trying to excuse anything, but December's a bad month for football players because <laughs> you're not... <laughs> I mean, and I'm not saying, you know, because Notre Dame is different. I believe in it. I've always believed in it when I went there, when I, you know, growing up. But you're still... To sound like Brian Kelly, you're dealing with 18 to 22-year-olds, and December's a bad month. It's when bad things happen because they do have too much time on their hands, and it strikes Notre Dame, and it strikes everybody, not because, you know, some schools are less lax and have lower standards. It's because the age group, I mean, that is, I could, if I was a I was a baseball player, if I was a college football player, my ass would have gotten trouble in December. <laughs> I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. Tim Priester wouldn't have been suiting up for the Liberty Bowl. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like somebody was like, when are the when are these suspensions going to stop? I don't know, like when teenagers stop being teenagers. Like, I I think that you know, in the context of Miles Boykin making the catch and Ian Book delivering and the defense stepping up and having a couple goal line stands, that Brian Kelly's decisions to send guys home, suspend guys, take the captaincy away shows that he has more control over the team, yeah. not less. And I, I think and that's, he's holding them to a higher standard and actually abiding by what he's talking about with the traits. When's yeah. the last time anybody won a bowl game over LSU and was mad that the coach sent people home for sticking? I was 13 years old. I wanted to kill who holds when he sent home Ricky Waters and Tony Brooks. What are you doing, dude? Yeah. But they won the game, so it's, he's a genius. They yeah. lose the game, you blew it. Now, he's not losing control. In fact, it was a great year for Brian Kelly. It really was. Now, it wasn't a great November. But when you consider, you know, kind of reevaluating himself and how he should approach it and listening to his upperclassmen and revamping the coaching staff and allowing, you know, well, first of all, finding Mike Elko and allowing him to run his defense the way, I mean, the guy really, he knows what he's doing. And that defense, I mean, you know, we talk about, okay, the front seven's going to come back. Mike Elko's going to come back. That alone yeah. will make them that right. much better. I think, to wrap it up for me, it's a satisfying quality win over a good team that allows Notre Dame's fans, coaching staff, and players to have an offseason that isn't just miserable yeah. the entire time. That's it would have been I, a mi- well, that's why losing Kelly with your backup quarterback going to this offseason. Right, and so you would have no hope. But neither they both stink. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's it's a fine position for Notre Dame to be in because I think they can genuinely sell that things are in a good place and moving in a good direction. Um, and that is that is something that's similar to the last time they beat LSU in the Music City Bowl, where you could the the reasons were different and yes, the, the look was different. That was like, hey, they could win the, cha- the national title next year. I think for Notre Dame, it's like. 
they could probably go 10 and two again. Um, but Notre Dame is in a, in a good position right now. Their staff is coming back. They've got a lot of talent coming back. I think they've got some good incoming guys that can impact them, especially on the edges. At, at place, linebacker and safety at places where they wide need receiver. help. Wide receiver. Yep. Wide receiver, they need help. Linebacker, they need help. Safety, they need help. Particularly safety and wide receiver. I think that's yeah. where young guys can, can help the most. But um, there's just, I think in the same, a similar way to every move Brian Kelly made last offseason, I described it as like, all right. I'm interested in to see seeing what happens here. Um, I think with what they have coming back and the momentum they built off beating LSU, even though McGlinchey and Nelson are out the door and they lose Niles Morgan and Greer Martini, um, they certainly lose some veteran talent, there's still a lot to be intrigued about for Notre Dame in 2018, probably in some ways more so than when this game started. Um, maybe even more so than if Brandon Wimush had gone out and done the, the 10 of 20 for 112 yards and had three rushing touchdowns. There's there's some interesting pieces for year two of Bayless, year two of Long, year two of Elko, uh, and you know, based on my conversation with Brian Killier in the week, where he's going to be around winter workouts again, like it's not, it doesn't sound like it's going to be a one-off situation where he sort of he sort of learned his lesson about how he needs to be more of a not a CEO head coach, but more a sort of nuts and bolts, right. roll your sleeves and up I head coach. It, I mean, I think it fits him. It fit, doesn't it feel yeah comfortable? Well, I thought that's right. what he was when he was in charge of absolutely every aspect of everything in Grand Valley State, Central Michigan, and Cincinnati. That's right. what he would be. I know you can't quite be that in Notre Dame, but you can be in charge of a lot of the football operations that are going on. It's yeah, it seems like that is where he would thrive. Um, I just am upset with him because I don't want to do an offensive practice report with two quarterbacks all spring. Yeah. It's going to have to be that way. Now, he also, uh, you know, the calm, cool Brian Kelly was not in evidence uh, a whole lot. Ask Isaiah Robertson. <laughs> um, and that's, yeah, like, it wasn't oh, perfect. Well, it certainly wasn't perfect. There, there was, no, there was that, not hey, a great no, Notre Dame game. A, it was a victory. That, he's a head coach. He's entitled yeah. to do that. Now, you don't want to do it all the time because then right. then they will tune you out. And that's what had been happening in previous years. you got to pick your spots. And but Today he, was a big day. And he... You know, he can say he could say what he wants about, you know, bowl game and the importance. And I really think that was a little bit misconstrued because he was talking about as it relates to your next season. Yeah. That's and and I get what he's saying there because like he said, two thousand eleven they lost Florida State. Next year they played for the, the national title. It didn't come off sounding like that. And unfortunately, many times I think what he means it doesn't come off sounding right and therefore it gets judged that way. Well, I think that's a rip, our yeah, wrap for our uh, post-Citrus Bowl near-midnight podcast. I think uh, we have time to figure out the starting quarterback for next year. <laughs> we have many podcasts to come. Um, we'll be back January 8th, next Monday. I think we'll probably have a regular weekly Monday podcast um, through the off-season. At, at least, least through the na- recruiting. Yeah, yeah, at least through the end of uh, the recruiting session on February 7th is the next National Signing Day, um, the late period. So until then, signing off from room... 1208? Yes. Tim O'Malley, Tim Priester, I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for listening. Hook, coverage on the end. Top, what a grab! Barkin, still on his feet! Happy New Year, Irish!